Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, listeners, to your one and only source into all things Gossip Girl. You know you'll love it. XOXO. Hey, hey, everyone. Happy New Year. I'm Jessica Zor, and today we have an extra special episode of XOXO, just for you. It's been almost a year since we kicked off this show. Can you believe it? So we thought it was time to walk back down memory lane and relive just a few of our best moments. We talked to some of Gossip Girl's biggest characters this past year and have watched some pretty wild stories unfold. And I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing your time with us. To each and every one of you and to all the cast and crew who made Gossip Girl what it was, I thank you so, so much. And a special thanks to my partner in crime, Zuzana Shatskovsky, who joined me on this journey a couple months ago. It's been so great to do these rewatches with you. And I love you so much, girl. And I want to thank you, listeners, for tuning in. You've been right there with us for the whole crazy ride. And while XOXO is taking a hiatus for the new year, I hope that you all have enjoyed this wild ride with us. And with that, we're starting the best of episode with Gossip Girl's creators, Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage, who take us back to where it all began. Here's Josh and Stephanie. The CW was not a thing. Oh yeah, it was it, it was ama- that we were the first show for the CW. They were a uh, a network that would, had fused together the WB and the UPN. And the way I recall it happening was Alloy and uh, my agents had sent me the Gossip Girl books, which were set up at the CW already with Don Ostroff. Okay, I immediately called Stephanie and said, "If you like this, let's do this together," because we were trying to figure out what we were going to do together after the OC ended. And there was nobody I wanted to work with more after that than, than Steph. And so it was already set up at the CW. And we were like, 
okay, great. We knew what they were trying to do. We knew what the WB was, and that was kind of the model that they right. were seemed to be following. And we were off to the races. And I remember very distinctly being on the set of the OC finale, and there was like a crowd of teenagers in the street where we were shooting the episode, and somebody was like, "What are you guys going to do next?" And I said, "Oh, doing this uh, this book series called Gossip Girl," and everybody screamed. Like all these kids screamed. So, oh my so the books already had a, a big built-in fan base going into it that I think we were not fully aware how, how big the fan right. base was, how passionate the fan base was. Yeah, we had never really heard of them. And obviously you guys read the books, had an idea of what you wanted to do. Was it always going to be a TV show? For us, it was. So the other, not only did we not know how popular the books were, no one told us that they had tried unsuccessfully to develop the books a couple of times prior to us which may have made us suspicious. Right. We just went in like, you know. Well, good thing good thing you didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very idealistic. So I think it was I think it was um, they attempted it as a movie, I believe with Lindsay Lohan. Yeah. Lindsay Lohan is Blair, Amy Sherman Palladino I think was writing it. Yeah, prior to us. So prior we were us. not aware of any of that. Lindsay as Blair, who as Serena? I'm not sure they got that far down the line. Dina Lohan, her mother. Wow. <laughs> Okay, so you guys knew you were going to go do that. By the way, how did you guys originally meet to do the OC? Are you going all the way back? <laughs> we met prior to the OC pilot. We met on a general meeting. And uh, out of that meeting, the OC was born. And we just worked incredibly closely together. Stephanie was my boss on the pilot, is what we like to say. Or I guess that is the truth. That's why we like to say it. Because <laughs> we speak the truth. Um, and I was the writer and she was the producer. And... But even though we had these different roles, we just worked very seamlessly together. And there was just a real creative synergy. And um, But she was Stephanie was extremely thorough as a boss and as a producer and would time my naps because we were working a lot of hours. And I'd be very tired. And I'd be like, Can I please just take a nap. And she'd be like, you have two minutes, go. Or no, it was like 20 <laughs> minutes. And I'd always give you like a couple extra minutes. But we did joke my credit on the first season of the OC was supervising producer. And I literally supervised him. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Is this an okay shirt to wear to That's the network, amazing. Stephanie? Okay, thank you. Yeah, she was supervising all no, it was not. elements. Uh, no, yeah, well, that was part of the charm. And so, very early on, though, it was like clear, like, oh, you are more than a, a producer or someone, you know, who in this traditional, usually producers are non writing producers on a lot of these shows. And Stephanie was just clearly someone who was a writer, but was also at that time acting more as a producer. So, you know, first opportunity was like, you should write an episode of the show. Um, and she did. And it was the Chris Mika episode. And then we got to switch roles and I got to be her boss. Uh, she did not nap. <laughs> I did not have to time any of her <laughs> But it was very uncomfortable for me to have to be now the baby writer handing my script into the showrunner and like praying that he liked it and like that it didn't get a huge rewrite, that it wasn't a big whiff. Um, she nailed it. She and, nailed it, as uh, you would expect. She nailed it. Yeah. Well, but I think that really formed like the basis of our, the foundation of our relationship where we can wear different hats with each other. We can write things together as partners. One person can write something and the other person can be more of a producer. We can sort of like move back and forth pretty seamlessly. And I think that's quite unusual for people. And I think most importantly, we are okay being vulnerable with each other, which obviously if you're going yeah. to write something or create something, there's a lot of vulnerability required. So I always felt like I could go to Stephanie with the most embryonic seed of an idea or a pitch or what have you. And 
there would be no judgment about what was lacking, only excitement about what it could be. We were early adopters yeah. of vulnerability. Yeah, Benet Brown got it from us. <laughs> exactly. Thank goodness those two got together. I mean, they literally launched the CW. That's insane. And without the CW, I wouldn't have had the chance to meet the wonderful people who became the Gossip Girl cast, including one of my friends to this day, Chase Crawford. Here's Chase talking about landing the role of Nate and his relationship with another major cast member. Can you guess who it is? Okay, so that was a first pilot season. So then what happened? How did Gossip Girl come about? And what's really funny, we had the same agent that put oh, us both on Gossip right. Girl. Yeah, we did. Heather Nunn she was, was awesome. Yeah, I loved her. Awesome. She's amazing. I went, I ended up, you know, meeting a different manager and I segue. And so, yeah, The Covenant came out in 2006. I, I segued that into, into moving to ICM. But um, I remember that stack of scripts. You can like see it in their office and they, Back in the day when we actually got, you know, hard scripts and before Zoom and right. all that, um, it, it had Gossip Girl. And I had no idea. I just thought, I'm like, that sounds ridiculous. You know what I mean? That sounds, that's, <laughs> what is that's this? not Friday Night Lights. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm like, surely they're not going to name it that. But they right. told me, they're like, these are the people that did the OC. And I think I had gone in actually and auditioned for Josh for like a guest star on the OC thing. And obviously everyone, I watched it. I watched like every season of, of that crying right. at the finale. But yeah, <laughs> Josh, I, like when I knew Josh 70 were part of it, I'm like, yeah, this is, but I saw the role they wanted me to go for. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, this is, I, okay, I can see this. And that process, that was an interesting process though. Yeah, I was good. We went into the casting office and I think the director and one of the producers was there. I can't remember. And then they called pretty quickly. We're like, yeah, we like, we want to go further and do, uh, potentially have a test deal. I didn't realize that 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 mean at the time. I don't know if they really do this anymore. You know, you you have to basically go back and read the same scenes for Josh and Stephanie and the people you already read for. So now it's like six people in the room, and then you got to go over to uh, Warner Brothers or whatever. You know, at the time CW's new and read for like the network head, and then you got to go like to the top. Sixty people sometimes. Oh my god! And I remember the final one. It was like at the top of the ABC, maybe in Burbank. I don't know why it was there necessarily. Yeah. But it, I walk in this big conference room and I kept me, I remember thinking like, who's going to play Blair Waldorf? Cause that's, I admit, I right. met a few of those girls, you know, that were in the running for it. And I don't know, I just, nothing struck me as like, that's the girl. And, and I remember going up to the top of the deal, still nervous. They let me in this massive waiting room, which was just a massive conference room at the top of this thing. And there was this one girl in this chair at the very end, like with her back to me in the chair. And like, I kind of, I'm like, hi, I introduced myself. She turns around headband on it's late and i'm like i instantly was like oh that's the girl like if she can this is it she can act i'm sure she can and i love that kind of had an instant like friendship connection you know easy easy to talk to and uh but then yeah to go into this room and it was like stadium seating no no, no yeah. one in the back was lit just me and like a bar stool and it was like you know and you just see suits yeah you just see like <laughs> faceless people and it's so weird and like such a weird process so you guys listening, once you shoot a pilot, no one knows what the response is going to be and if it's going to get picked up. So it's so funny that like you go and put all this time, energy and effort into something and you we have zero clue of what's going to happen. It's wild. Yeah. You form these relationships. It's like camp. You go away for three weeks in New York City. We're staying at like the Gramercy Park Hotel, which at the time I had no idea. It's like so, so much fun. And we just have a blast. And then you're like, OK, like I hope it works out, you know, might see in the fall, but I yeah. actually, I remember the moment that Josh and Stephanie had us up to this little production office 
Blake and all of us showed up and everybody and they just screened it for us. It felt like a, a an old time TV in like cl- in a classroom where they like wheel you in. Oh my and god, I love. I remember that. watching it and being like, "Oh wow, they made that from all that crap we shot." Yeah, and, and the music. I remember like the music was so good. I, and I, but I wasn't even fine tuned as an actor then to know like what part of my stuff would make it. I didn't know if it was like gonna even come together right and. Obviously, it's it's always you know nerve wracking watching yourself for the first time on something, but for sure. they I remember being like, wow, this is like they got it, like this is good, like I can't imagine this not getting uh, picked up. And somehow I remember getting a copy of it. And my parents had the DVD, and then they wa- they probably watched the pilot like twenty five times. They showed it to so many people <laughs> <laughs> to everyone. They're like, we're having a screening of Gossip Girl. Yeah, they did. They were really they had fun. When did you and Ed decide to live together? Because by the way, you guys being roommates was one of the best things for me of my entire experience, oh, the roof deck, oh, the watching football, the making dinners, it like was, it was <laughs> Alex Paul living in between a us. Great time. <laughs> oh my God. That's right. We can talk about that. That was hilarious. She would DJs like right next door to me in Ed's building. Jess lived there and literally next door. She's like, come over to my friend's house. He likes to DJ at night, you know? And we'd like go over there at like two, three in the morning and like party and <laughs> You know, but he'd be playing music and he's like, ended up being the chain smokers. It was great. You know, it was, it was amazing. So and he would remember like Will started hiring him at one of the places, but he was yes. making like a couple hundred bucks on like a Monday night yeah. and now like has a residency and is one of the biggest. Oh man, he's such a good dude that, you know, they both are. And yeah, no, I they mean, are. so me and, me and Ed, you know, and Ed coming from London, he was, he was, I think he was like the youngest as well. He was like barely he, 18 years old, right? You know? Yeah. Like I think just. And, you know, I'm, I'm this Texas kid living in California. He's never lived in the States before. And uh, I don't know. I guess my, I, I remember he was still in London after the pie. And it was summertime. And me and my mom decided to go to New York and like look at places. And we, uh, you know, I have no idea. I mean, I knew New York was semi expensive, but like it was insane. I mean, it was, you know, insane. So I, I looked and I was like, hey, buddy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you, yeah, do you want to like, this is how much it is. Like, I didn't believe it either. He's like, well, can, can we not get like, like it's four bedroom, like 10,000 square foot? You know, I'm like, no, that doesn't exist. Uh, no, we actually can't. That doesn't exist. <laughs> this is going to be a two bedroom shoebox. And uh, yeah, you're sleeping in the office. And no, uh, <laughs> it was a very nice place. Very nice very building. Nice. Extremely nice. And um, I mean, I'm sure even now, nowadays, probably even like triple whatever it was. But, you know, you had to put down like the first month's rent a security deposit and last month it's like a triple thing i had no not one check had come in from the show me and i had to borrow money from my dad you know I, my dad's like, okay yeah and then uh and then i never saw it i just sent him i think i sent him some photos that i had taken i mean this is like pre-iphone yeah. days i mean i don't even know how i like i sent him these photos and uh he was like okay <laughs> he had never seen i'll take he'd it never been there or anything <laughs> and but by yeah. the way how you guys decorated it. It was like very homey. It was very clean. It was very fresh. And that, I feel like that was like a place where we would like get ready and kind of pregame before we'd go to a concert or a show or someone's play Oh yeah, on the weekends and stuff. Oh yeah. It was, it was a hub for everything. And you know, and, and, and I, I had experience living with roommates, you know, in college and stuff. I'm not sure if, if Ed really did, but him getting to know me in that way and us shooting, like it was, <laughs> I mean, you know, who knows? <laughs> For better or for worse, but we we had a, we had a really <laughs> really great time. Him watching like soccer, European football, me showing him American football, and and you know it had this rooftop, you know that rooftop situation oh that was like it had like chairs. It was it, epic. it was it was kind of perfect. It had like a view, and we ended up 
just going to kind of a local Irish hole in the wall pub sometimes <laughs> and coming back and we called it roof deck. We would bring a couple of Bose speakers up there and I'm telling you, there wasn't a better party in New York City. <laughs> no, there was not. I agree. There seriously was not a better party in New York City, you guys. Trust me. And speaking of New York, the city was a big part of my life while filming Gossip Girl. There's just something so magical about it. And Taylor Momsen agrees. Here's Taylor. I always feel like in New York, I'm like learning and growing as an artist or wanting to become a better artist. Do you feel like that? Oh, yeah. 100%. New York keeps you on your toes, you know. There's something so... I don't know. There's, I've been literally around the world at this point and there's nowhere else like New York. It's just, it has this energy to it that you can't find in any other city. And, totally. and there's something kind of special about New York that even though you're surrounded by people, you can hide in New York city, you know, like it has, it has both, has all the elements of everywhere in one. Like you can go out, you're going to walk one block and you're in the heart of everything. Walk a, you know, walk a different street and you're, you're by completely yourself. Isolated by yeah. yourself. It's, it's awesome. I also don't think unless you lived there, you would ever like imagine that. Because I remember when I first, that first season of the show, I remember feeling like that. I I was like a little lonely at one point. I think I was missing my family. It was a new city, even though everything was awesome. The whole cast was incredible. I loved my apartment. I loved everything. But I just remember one time I'm like, I feel alone right now. And this is crazy because there's millions of people one block from me. There's like cars going by every direction. But yet, (laughs) yeah, I felt very kind of like isolated for a minute. And, And in a way, it kind of felt good. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's I, I can't get enough of it. I, I need yeah. both stuff in my life. Yeah. I need isolation to, you know, write and think and come down or whatever. And then I need the excitement of, of the city and tour and that side of life too. So it's it's I find I find New York has the best balance of, of both. You can yeah. depending on the day you can you can be wherever you want to be. <laughs> For sure. So when you first moved to New York, was it for Gossip Girl? I know you did modeling and acting you know, your whole life, but was your initial move to New York for Gossip Girl? Yes. Um, yes and no. When I was, when I was young, like very young, when I was like two, three, um, starting modeling and, and starting commercials, we would spend summers in New York. So we'd get an apartment for the summer and, um, and that's where I'd go to audition and stuff. So I grew up in the city spending a lot of time there, but never permanently lived there until we made the move, um, for Gossip Girl. Yeah. Right. You know, I moved when I was, I think I was only 12 in the pilot, <laughs> that's crazy. How was that? It was it was interesting. I mean, at first, you know, I'd spent so much time my whole life kind of traveling around for mm-hmm. for projects and I had never really spent a lot of time in one school or like, you know, staying. I never really had a lot of friends growing up and stuff. I cuz I was moving around so much. And so when Gossip Girl came around, we had just settled in my family just settled in Maryland. And I was actually in a school for the first time. You would like go back on breaks and stuff for at least the yeah, first season, right? First season, yeah. Yep. I see friends and stuff. Um, but when the show came about and it was introduced to me to audition for it and stuff, my agent actually had to fly to Maryland to try to convince me to to do this because I was really content being in a school and having friends for the first well, time. It was a normal thing. You were like going to dances and, and having sleepovers and doing things you do as a kid. And yeah. then it's crazy because on the flip side, there's probably a ton of people trying to act that would do anything to get the opportunity to play Jenny Humphrey. Although no one could have played it even remotely close to how you did it. And you, I've been rewatching girl. Wow. You're something else, but let's um, get back to that. So you were content, wanted to stay. So they had to fly out to ask you. Yeah. So my agent flew out and came to my house and was like, this is a really great opportunity. It's a really cool character. It's a really cool show. You're going to get to live in New York city. We know you love New York. Like, 
this is full of fashion, which you love. And it's- did you think it was a cool character? I did. Um, I hadn't read the books yet. He told me to read the books. Um, I think I read the first one. Uh, I don't, God, this is so long ago. Yeah, I I know, girl. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I think I read the first one. Anyway, long story short, I ended up auditioning. Uh, We went, I went to, I auditioned in New York, um, took the bus to New York. And uh, very shortly after that, had the part. Like it was a very quick one to audition and your cast. And so then that was the huge shift. Right. And I will say it was the best decision I ever made. I mean, moving to New York, my life just opened up like and flourished in a completely new way. Or and I, it probably had you grow as an artist in all different ways, not just as an actor, then growing into the musician that you are and be able to be where you are now. That probably did open the door, even though at the time you were probably not thinking I'm going to do the show. We didn't even know how the show was going to be received. Of so yes. So it's just kind of one door opening another, which is exactly. kind of what we keep talking about on some of these episodes, which is what is like so fascinating about life. Sometimes you get mad when you don't get the audition or if this song doesn't come out the way you liked it, but then all of a sudden mm-hmm. the next song because of a heartbreak or whatever you went through. Listen to me acting like I know how to <laughs> write a song. I, I don't. Mean, it's, not, it's not wrong. You know, you write a lot of bad songs before you write good ones. You go on a lot of failed auditions before you get the part, you know. Right. And and sometimes you can be hard on yourself where you're like, oh, you know, I wish I would have gotten that job or I can't believe where this person is now. And then I'm like, well, I wouldn't be where I am if, you know, if I didn't go to Josh's barbecue, whatever. Yeah. But, <laughs> 100%. So you get the audition. Also, uh, David Rappaport, who casted the pilot, had just mm-hmm. told me that you were one of the first that they cast, which I think is awesome because with this cast and how big the show became, that really speaks a testament to how amazing you are and how much everyone believed in you to bring Jenny Humphrey to life because um, when the first person is cast on a pilot, that's a lot to go around you. There was still a lot of girls to cast. There was still a lot of family members around you. And we know as actors, there's a height thing. There's like hair color, there's Mm -hmm. skin color that they all got to like mesh well to make sure it flows and looks right and people play off each other. So that's pretty dope that you were the first one. That's totally cool. I don't know if I even knew that. I I might have. But, um, but that's yeah. That's all. I mean, that's very flattering. Thanks, guys. Yeah, <laughs> Taylor, you're perfect, and I love you so much. Another actor that David, Josh, and Stephanie were sure about was Ed Westwick, but Ed's casting process wasn't very smooth to say the least. He didn't have a visa to work in the states, and you really need that. So here's Ed to tell us all about it. So the situation was. Yes, didn't have a visa, which obviously you have to have to work in the States. And then I had to go to Canada to get my visa done, an emergency like situation. I was with this lawyer in Canada. I'd never been to Toronto before. I just met this lawyer randomly. I was 19. I was like, what is going on? I met this guy <laughs> in a long coat in the winter. And he said, come with me. Walk me to the front of this line at the uh, embassy or consulate in Toronto. But at this point, you're just trying to get the visa to go, or is the job yours, or are they wanting you to get the visa so you meet them? The job's mine as long as everything goes right and I can get to work within a few hours, which is like the next morning. And this is for the pilot, obviously. This is for the pilot, but I have to, in order to get, in order to like initiate the visa, you have to leave the country and enter. So I had to go to Canada to get it done and then fly back. And then I was starting work that next morning. Wow. Luckily, you know, it all went through the people at the uh, embassy or whatever. Because, you know, like government agencies can take their time to, like, get paperwork done. But, hey, this this lawyer knew what he was doing. He, he was one of those slick guys who, like, knew everyone at the embassy. Right, he was right. like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> hey. I was, like, cruise to the front of the line. And I didn't have no experience. 
and so I got the I got the visa and um and we started working and that was it, you know. And so whatever happened with at this point you knew that Chuck was going to have an American accent because I know there was a conversation about maybe keeping your accent. No, it, that was never really a thing. It I wasn't? mean, it was like I I no, I auditioned because of when I when I auditioned for Chase's part as well, right? But for Nate? I mean, I was just kind of yeah, but it was like super early on. It was like I walked in and they said audition for both, and then it was it was obvious they liked me more for for the Chuck role, and and it was just it was a much more interesting role, you know. Right, right. I was having much more fun with it. I think I had more of a character for it. That was the part that resonated. So, so they were like, okay, just stick with the Chuck thing, and then uh, they they just wanted to to hear it in an English accent, and you can't just this is the thing that people don't get is you can't just make a character. You can't just switch their accent. And, and and a lot of people, I've had this before where people will say, oh, my God, do it in an English accent. And it's like, <laughs> part of me just does this. Ugh. Right, right. Because like, if a character's written to be American and if there's jo- if there's comedy, comedy's a big thing. Right, right. Everything sounds so different as soon as it's done in an English accent. The timing, the intonation, everything like that. The whole performance changes, the whole character changes. And there was an argument that, you know, you could have pulled it off as an English accent, but this character didn't need that. He didn't need that. You know, he didn't need that added thing. This character, he had to say, he had enough so layers. much there anyway. Yeah. And he was, you know, he was the arrogant New York, New York type guy, so. Yeah. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. 
I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Casting the right actors for each role was crucial. But just as important was the fashion on the show, especially on Gossip Girl. It was a character. We got to work with one of the best stylists in the world, Eric Damon. Eric talks about the magical wardrobe room and getting world-class designers involved. Here's Eric. I'll say that wardrobe room, walking into that wardrobe room is like so special to me. Like all like the vibes. Just create the whole fantasy. And that's something, it is something I learned like working with Patricia Field on Sex and the City was like to create this atmosphere and this ambiance is important, you know, to come in and have the beauty and like completely immerse yourself in this fantasy world that we're, you know, we're creating fantasy and we're, you know, we're dealing with, again, a lot of like realistic logistics. But when you're in there and you just want to like do your thing, it's important to kind of walk into this fairy tale world that is the costume shop so that, you know, you feel as an actor, you know, coming in that you're just going to be like, okay, I can block everything else out. There's a lot of like craziness outside of this room, but right now we're just here and we're going to create Vanessa's most incredible look to introduce Vanessa into the world. Yeah. How was, um, Working with all the designers, I'm sure you had relationships with all of them anyway, just from how talented you are and and all of your credits and all the things and how wonderful you are to work with. Thank you. It was difficult in the beginning because, you know, again, like designers don't want to lend to television back then. You know, it wasn't, we weren't established as this fashion show yet. I had some, you know, relationships from Sex and the City or from the editorial world that we could pull in. And I think we ended up season one was using a lot more of like younger designers and like Again, we didn't, you know, CW, we didn't have a giant budget to be buying right. Valentino, like one of a kind Chanel stuff. It just wasn't part of it. And the more the kind of excitement around the show as it grew, I think there was more and more excitement from designers. And like, I think a big part of like the success of it was we had the writer strike that happened. Right. And Warner Brothers and CW were very smart to like use that as a marketing moment. Like we did all these great marketing campaigns with you guys and, you know, pushed the kids in the show in front of the media because there was this like void of media at the time. And I think because all of a sudden the kids were being shot by paparazzi and like sudden Blake is carrying a Chanel bag, it's getting ID'd. And I think people like there was a switch that happened between like seeing what the show looked like and the heft that it carried in the media. 
where all of a sudden, like when we came back mm-hmm. from that, there was a lot more interest from the designers. And really it's like Chanel was one of the first big houses that said yes, that they wanted to work with us. And I think once we got mm-hmm. Chanel locked in, you know, and it was like, it's funny, like how <laughs> PR, like how these PR houses work. They're like, like everyone would be like, do you have Chanel? Do you have Ferragamo? Do you, you know, it's just like such a game a little bit. Right. Like, who do you have? Right. Who said yes? I'm not going to say yes until they say yes. Like, well, if one of you don't say yes, then, you know, it's not going to happen. <laughs> and Chanel, you know, I think Carl, I think saw something in Blake and maybe it'd been, you know, I think that was part of the excitement around it. And right. um, Chanel said yes. And then it was just like the deluge. We had free reign. And again, so grateful to Chanel and all the designers. We got to work with so many incredible um, designers and have all these amazing pieces like shipped right off the runway, you know, really right. had um, that I haven't had since then. Like I had it again on on the new Gossip Girl, but uh, it was a moment in time, like to have all of these incredible, which also led to the success of what we were doing with the show. Cause you know, we weren't able, I wasn't able to purchase that. And we weren't able to have access to those right. clothes. So I think, you know, the relationships we did have and, Again, so grateful to all the designers and all the, you know, design houses and PR companies that were so excited to work with us and really helped us make all this vision come true. Eric also had a few words for our next guest, the almost always stylish Carter Bazin. Here's my friend Sebastian Stan. I'm playing Carter and the accessory he's never allowed to wear on the Upper East Side. I didn't really think that I was going right. to be coming back. You know, it, it, nobody had said this was going to be a reoccurring character. I think it was only going to be one or two episodes. And then, you know, they, they kind of brought him back around and that was fun and, and sort of got all these intricate storylines. And it's just funny how I ended up with Serena. It was always this like history with Serena and stuff. And he always popped up in the scene, sort of swarmy, you know, kind of just <laughs> with another fact or, you know, he's had, he had one more thing up his sleeve. And, and, and I was like, God, I'm just always going to be like this nasty guy, you know, that just pops in there. And, but it was super fun. Like, and it was, I think it was overwhelming too at times because like you said, we were just growing up and, right. and I think you get a lot of young love and a lot of things that kind of are coming at you very quickly and you're just trying to process it. And I think it always looks, you know, when we look back now, I think we can all look back and just kind of go like, oh yeah, that was, it was, that was awesome. fun, more fun than we, than we were thinking at the time, but totally. And you had all these people coming in, right? Like, yeah, people that like popped in and out in the whole fashion world. Think about that, like the fashion stuff we would go to. I know. Well, that was, I was always uh, a plus one at those things, but (laughs) I wasn't really invited directly. But, but I remember being there and going, like, oh my God, like this is just intense. I don't, I'm just going to look to see where the bar is. But you always look very sharp and good and, fit right Listen, in with that. I, somebody showed me a picture of me back then like and and I remember just <laughs> like doing the half shirt tuck tucking like <laughs> like the one like the button you know like a button down and there's one side of it tucked in but not the other and like I had like four buttons unbuttoned down to here and stuff it was just like oh what my god I would say now though if Vogue or anyone did a like survey I would say you're probably top five best dressed in Hollywood at this point. And it's probably is out there, to be honest. I don't know. I could thank my stylist, I guess, Michael Fisher in a lot of ways. He's, I sort of just turn to him and go like, listen, you got to tell me what what's yeah, to well, do. It looks but, good. but I think in terms of our show, the show, right? Like Eric, who was our 
costume yeah. design. I remember I, I trod on a suit one time and I was like, should I get a belt or something? And he was like, no, no <laughs> there was no belts happening on the Upper East Side. And that was kind of a thing. And I know he started a few trends at the time, right? I'm not right. crazy. That was a hundred percent. He's like an icon. Yeah. And not only is he an amazing artist in the fashion world to bring all those characters to life in a way, like how he dressed yeah. Chuck, Chuck walked a certain way in those suits because of how, you know, he felt in them. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I think that's what happens Like when you, as you get older and stuff, you start to look at all these pieces that kind of come together to make this thing. You know, when you're young, you're sort of like, I'm the actor and I'm going to do my character and stuff. But then right. like all these people supply all these other kind of layers to create those things. But yeah, Absolutely. I mean, he, Chuck Bass was a very, uh, it, it, he seemed to always have all the cool lines and, you know, it was <laughs> Yeah, Eric Damon killed it with that. So you came on, basically Carter Bazin dated Serena. Did you have other love stories? It was basically Serena, but then I, I'm, I don't quote me here because it's been a while, but I, I do remember at one point that he became a bit of a pawn in the Blair-Chuck wars. Right, right, yes. There was something there like that or, or, or I don't know. But it was always Serena, yeah. Yeah, so you worked with Blake Lively, who played Serena on our show the most, but then you really went off to work with a wonderful group of of leading ladies. Margot Robbie, you you have a movie coming out with Nicole Kidman, Penelope Cruz. I mean, those are just really beautiful, wonderful actors to work with. Uh, totally. I mean, I yeah, I've been very lucky to be opposite incredible partners. I think when you think of acting it's always sort of this partnership and this dance that i feel like has to happen with the people you're working with and and it's true i you know i think yeah it really did start with blake essentially right. i mean I, I think i've sort of yeah i've managed to kind of work with find my way with with some of the most strongest uh women out there i honestly feel like i'm better in the scene as a result of it and it, weirdly i can't quite say i've had the same experience with male, like super strong, <laughs> famous actors, you know, like it's actually been weirder on that than actually working with, with a strong woman. Cause there's no bullshit. You just sort of like have to show up and like do the work. And I think male dynamics uh, are, are sort of funny with each other. You know, when you have someone who's like older or, you know, a younger person coming in and stuff like there's always sort of a, a interesting tug of war, which I I'm like always rolling my eyes at. But, right. But, yeah, I would I would rather pick a strong female partner in, in a movie or a TV show any day. Totally agree, Seb. Luckily, Gossip Girl had so many strong leading women on it, like our next guest, who played badass mom to the Upper East Side. Here's my girl, Kelly Rutherford, on growing up and the lessons she learned from playing Lily. Here's Kelly. Were you were you team Rufus, Team Bart, or Team William? Gosh, well, William wasn't even in there very much. It was sort of like, you know, we didn't, we explored it, but I don't think it was as sort of explored as Bart and and Rufus. And I really liked both because it really shows you, and when, obviously what I loved about the character and what they wrote for the adults on the show, yeah. the grownups was, you were adults, but you know what I mean, grownups, is that, you know, we hadn't, we didn't have it all figured out either. Right. We didn't always know what to do either. And I think that was part of the beauty of what made our storylines interesting as well is that, you know, there's a part of all of us that would want to be with Rufus and want to be with Bart. And so, right. you know, <laughs> they were such interesting characters in themselves. So 
And at different times in your life, one makes sense and maybe another one would make sense, right? Like as you grow and you change. And obviously, if Rufus and I were meant to be together when we were young, we would have been. But there right. were things that came along. And I think there are always those people that you you wonder. Yeah. You're like, God, there's so much what here. If? There's so much. There's so much, yeah, that we're alike and we relate to each other. And there's so much there. So what is it? Why can't we get it together? And then we end up marrying someone that you would never think. Right. That came out of nowhere. <laughs> you'd marry. Right. And it's great. Yeah. You know, so it's you realize that that's life. And I think the older you get, in particular, it helps in our work and what we do is that you're just, you don't judge things the way you used to. You go with the fact that things don't always make sense and that that doesn't make people bad people. Absolutely not. And I think you hit it right on the nose. Like, I think somewhere in life, you think your parents should have it all figured out or they do. And then you get to an age where I'm like, oh my gosh, my mom was still figuring stuff out. Even though she was the best mom and awesome, there was a lot going on too. You know, my parents got divorced when I was in high school. I would have never known that it was as difficult as it maybe was. Because even if it's people are ready to be apart and get divorced and it might be the best thing for the relationship, it's still not an easy thing. You're wrapping up a chapter, Mm -hmm. especially when there's kids and stuff. So- I think too, when we look up to your parents, you guys are such legends in our eyes and you guys do things that we think you have like, you just got it all figured out and you guys wear that hat and do it so well. And then I think as we get older and see like, oh, they were figuring things out, but that's just what you do for your kids. You make them think it's, we're going to be fine because we are going to be fine. (laughs) Yeah. And then I think parents do their best to to see that that's possible, you know, but I, I always tell my kids, look, I'm I'm open to suggestions because I think it helps to get feedback as a parent too when they're able to because we don't always know we you know we're going based on what we knew as as in our, how it worked with our parents right. and so on and so forth so but yeah. you just realize the humor in it all you know the, <laughs> it's it's all yeah damn, the family dynamics there's a lot of a lot of um, humor there there was I was like going back and reflecting on when Lily was with Bart you were on the Upper East Side at a lunch with him. And the way the music was and the way the camera angle was coming in on you, I'm just going to play it because I, I I really felt for your character for a minute in this moment about kind of all the emotions she was going through of figuring out, should I be with this man? And you're just such a phenomenal actor. Like, I remember, like, I kind of felt like goosebumps for a minute. Like, oh, my God, is she sad? Is she going to go through with this? What is she doing? So let me just play this for you. I'm watching Lily Vanderwoodson. Um at a restaurant on the Upper East Side and kind of taking in what her life's going to be with Bart Bass. And it just kind of shows you that money and all of that can't buy you happiness, that she's actually like, wait, this is not what I want. Yeah, she looks sad. That was a real true moment of, I think, people, before they're going to get married, some people do a checklist through their mind. Do you remember that scene? He, like, got up to get it, take a business call. And you're kind of are just like, you can tell you you just went somewhere else. And we're like, I don't know if I want this. Well, that's the thing, though. You know, I think to, to realize that no matter who you're going to marry, there's going to be stuff, right. right? So if you marry Rufus, you're going to have the this stuff. If you marry greener. Bart, you're going to have this stuff. Right. So it's like choosing what stuff you want to deal with. And I think that, that the humanity in that is so beautiful is when you realize, regardless of who I'm with, I'm going to have to find my way. And right. find my own happiness and my own joy and and allow them to really be who they are and who they're showing themselves to be, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that moment probably was a lot about, okay, this is who I'm marrying. This is what I'm this is this is what this set of 
things are going to be with this person. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Your storylines, and you were on the whole time the show was on, so you worked with everyone. Who did you have? um, You had good chemistry with everyone because you're just a great actor. And and it was just well cast across the board. I was telling David Rappaport, I mean, you couldn't have gotten everyone they did hit and brought it and made it so colorful and so wonderful and, and the chemistry with everyone because everyone had something with someone. So I was like, it's so funny that not everyone had chemistry reads in the very beginning, the way it all went. Everyone dated. Everyone had some sort of a relationship with each other. So who did you enjoy, when you look back, who did you laugh with the most? Well, David's incredible. I mean, David was super young. I mean, I remember going in and reading in a small office in Studio City. I mean, it was like, and he was so lovely. He has such a a wonderful way about him. And I'm sure that's part of why he's so good at what he does. Yes. Um, David's the casting director, for those of you that don't know. He cast the pilot of Gossip Girl. And um, anyway, but in terms of working, I, you know, Caroline and I still are are good friends. I mean, Matthew and I, Rufus still, Caroline, who played my mother, Cece, um, Cece. you know, I loved the dynamic with Ed and I in terms of our our dynamic as actors. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously adore him as well. Chuck, Chuck Bass. Chuck, Charles. (laughs) I know. Uh, And I, you know, the thing is, I mean, I really enjoyed working with everyone, to be honest with you. Again, thankful to Josh and Stephanie and to David for casting everyone. But I mean, they literally cast my mother and her birthday's one day after my mother. And my grandmother's Danish and she's from Sweden. Like, you know, they couldn't have cast someone more. You know, that's what I mean. It was just, there was something so aligned about it at the time. So I enjoyed working with everyone. I enjoyed working with Blake. I love her character and our dynamic. I love... um, Your dynamic with, yeah, Lily and Serena was, it was a really cool, beautiful thing. And you kind of watched it grow, you know, throughout the seasons and, um, and your wardrobes. I mean, it was beautiful and so sick. So fun. Talking about husbands, can we get some love for Vanya? He's one of the best and the husband of our next strong female character and the heart of the show, Dorota. Before she joined XOXO, Zuzana Shatskowski stopped by the podcast to talk about swearing in Polish and how the role of Dorota grew. Here she is, Zuzana. Your situation for Gossip Girl, like, it was never going to be that Dorota was in start to finish. No. Right or wrong? No, no, it was totally unexpected. And I always tell, like, young actors that, you know, I always, my advice is always, like, you never know. Uh, where the character never know where your opportunities lie. You know, you have this idea that, Oh, this is going to be the job. That's it. Or this is the thing that's, this is going to be a great gig for me. Or this is my path. And it's always a surprise. Like it's never the one you thought it was. It's always somewhere where you didn't expect or see it. Because for me, um, the Dorota role was an audition for literally, it was a possible recurring guest star. And the breakdown said something like 60 plus, 65 plus get out of here housekeeper yeah they better relax with that and there were and there were no and it said no lines and so i was like dorota was 65 years old and a mute silent yeah yeah there are no lines in the there were no lines in the first episode and it was like by the way there's no blair without dorota so (laughs) there's no gossip girl basically everyone's done i'm I'm dropping the mic (laughs) we're done with the podcast like no gossip girl exists 
What? Yeah. So it was like, there. so basically it was like a possibly going to recur housekeeper who didn't have any lines and they were looking for an older woman. But the only keyword, the only reason I even popped up, you know, my agents even submitted me was the Polish part. I had just played a Polish housekeeper in The Sopranos, like in the final season. Oh, of the Sopranos. this little show I, no one's ever heard of that basically <laughs> well, changed television. But I have a tiny part because then, like, they had a really cool Polish housekeeper who did a lot of stuff on that show, but that wasn't me. And then in the final season, when she was gone, I played uh, the Polish housekeeper for Carmel and Tony for like three episodes. But I, I said a couple lines to Tony, which was actually really thrilling. You know, really, like first, I'm like freaking yeah, right now. Like, <laughs> I know. And he was really, uh, James Gandolfini was really nice to me. And he said I had a good accent and that I was very good. And I was like, so excited. <laughs> but, but it had just happened right before the gospel audition. So they were like, well, they know you, you can do a Polish maid and they know you're not uh, 65. And in fact, like this always shocks people. But when we started gossip, Girl, I was 28 and I love it. And it you should know, people... really shock. Cause when you really look, you don't, you, you do yeah, look yeah. like very young. Well, but like in, I feel like people in person maybe say, oh, you look younger. But the contrast and like what they did with the character just made me seem like, you know, Right. And we're in a high different school. generation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you know, 15 and you're, or, right. you know, 16 at the time. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm supposed to be like raising her. Yeah. And the thing is like, we always had all these lines about um, Dorota going to feed ducks in Central Park with Blair when she was a baby. And I was like, yeah, Dorota was 12. <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> But anyway, literally, um, Dorota was learning how to walk as well. Don't worry, right, right. It's like Holly, <laughs> Hollywood magic. But anyway, anyway, so I went in for the audition, and I had um, there were no lines. So what? What do you like? You know, you just walked so the around audition, the room, following yeah, literally. Like, yes, literally for the audition, they said, you know, improvise like you're serving breakfast to some rich kids. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Um, and in the lobby, you're just eating you know, the when fruit you sign you're in, serving them. Right. Well, that's the thing is I was like, I got to do something with personality. And so like when I signed in in the lobby and you know, the actors all sign in on a sheet and I saw that I was the only one with like a Polish name. So I was like, oh, I'm probably the only like, you know, legit Pole in here. So I figured, let me lean into that. So when I did the audition, I Love the sort of improvised and I was like mumbling and talking to myself in Polish, like in a sort of like, uh, you know, uh, put You're upon way brilliant I, like, <laughs> I love that <laughs> and i did it for so long and i think it was i'm pretty sure it was mark Piznarski who was like yeah uh, who did the pilot and he directed the pilot but this yeah. i wasn't in the pilot it was in the second episode but i remember they let me go on and on for you're so just talking long. to yourself yes oh. <laughs> i'm just walking around and polish cursing and you know rolling my eyes and and then um <laughs> i left <laughs> And it was funny because I got the part and I didn't really think that was that I was like, oh, okay. I mean, it's like no lines, like whatever. And my agent said, you know, it's going to probably be a good big show because it's based on a very popular book series. And I thought, oh, and oh, really okay. great well, producers cool. from another hit show. You're like, yeah, oh, yeah. And oh, I didn't really know anything because I was just like, I never knew anything about anything. I was no, like, which is also <laughs> always good. I, I really am the same. Yeah. And I've talked to, I mean, I've heard, I've listened to your podcast. I'm a big fan. And I've heard a lot of people you know, so talk sweet. with you about, you know, this idea that, um, you know, in this business, you know, they make a pilot that will the pilot go, who knows, will one be recast? Will it one continue? Will the show get picked up? Like all of the variables of uncertainty, the fact that any show ever goes at all, much less that it becomes popular, much less that it continues, much less that in that it, then becomes part of the zeitgeist or in, you know, part of pop culture over time. Like it's just so many phenomenal things one after the other with this show that I didn't even know to worry about. 
Like when we were doing right. the show, it never even occurred to me to worry that they like wouldn't renew it or, you know, I was always right. just like You're on just the like, ride, I'm just you know? Me. I'm just going to talk <laughs> yeah. to myself and right. become the most favorite person right. on the show. <laughs> no, but it was like, I just always was, you know, and I, the thing for me is that I was always scared. I would never, that they would never have me back. So it was like in the beginning, I, as Dorota's character sort of grew over time, I never, I all, every single script, I was like, I hope they didn't kill me off or get rid of me. <laughs> so it was like, I was like waiting for that to happen for six seasons. Um, so I never really even felt super comfortable in it. Um, but yeah, but the funny part was, so when I got the part, they called me and said, you know, you got the, the show. And I text messaged my boyfriend at the time. And I said, I got Gossip Girl. And he wrote back, he was like, did you mean this for somebody else? Because he thought I meant, I got Gossip Girl. Like, oh. <laughs> hey girl, I got hey Gossip. Girl, I got that Gossip. <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, no, no, I got this show called The Gossip Girl. And it was funny. <laughs> but, you know, I showed up and my first scene was with Leighton. It was like a really cool reveal for my character because it was like Blair is speaking, kind of lamenting about her day and her troubles. And it 100% looks like she must be talking to her mother because you would only speak to your mother that way. And then when they the shot reverses you see that it's you the housekeeper and so even though the housekeeper had no lines you could see that like this is in this girl's life this is who she has to this is you know this is yeah this is her maternal figure and like this is kind of you know where she is um in terms of her relationship with her own mother so it was automatically kind of set up in that way and i think you know the the relationship between Blair and Dorota sort of grew, sort of, it grew organically. And then we had so much fun with it. And then all this kind of silly uh, stuff started getting introduced. I remember the first episode where it was like a funny thing happened for Dorota was that Cindy Lauper came in and, <laughs> and, and Blair wants to run off after Chuck or something. And then, so she ends up pushing Dorota on Cindy Lauper. Like she's like, you know, Dorota's your biggest fan. And I had this like fantastic scene with Cindy Lauper where I had to like, you know, freak out over her. And so Zerota all of a sudden started having a little, you know, funny things to do. And I think over time it started to, to grow. Yeah. Oh my God. I love that. Love. And honestly, like when Norman Buckley was on, he was talking about a moment. Yes, Norman's the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Where he was like, yes. you guys have to kind of lean into this relationship because of the way Blair's relationship is with her mother. There has to be this thing. Basically, he was saying, you guys have to explore this relationship. Right. No, he really was the guy. I mean, he, and I know you talked about this in the podcast, but he was the one who really reestablished the possibilities for Dorota because he switched up the scene where Margaret it was written for um, yeah. Blair's yeah. mom. And then he made it all of a sudden because of him and his collaboration with the writers and producers, uh, it became Dorota's scene and it was really what defined that role. All of a sudden it came from like an implied possibility to a reality. And so he opened that door and it was such a huge moment that happens sometimes as an actor where you have, uh, you know, you're sort of doing your work over here on the side and then you kind of get a door that you can step through, (laughs) you know, and somebody has to open that up for you. And it was for me and for Dorota, it was I literally just have goosebumps down my whole body right now. Yeah, it was so cool. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. 
In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We all love Dorota as Gossip Girl's sweetheart, but sometimes you need a villain to come in and shake things up. That's where our next guest comes in, because who can play a villain better than Michelle Trachtenberg? Here's Michelle. I'm playing the sexy, strong, and yeah, kind of evil Georgina Sparks. I, yeah, I was in LA and I had wanted to move back to New York, but I didn't really have a reason. So I was looking for TV shows and I was at a big agency at the time. And somehow it got to me that someone involved, either Josh or Stephanie, I'm not sure, had heard about this small guest star and it was an, it was an offer. I think they might've gone to, you know, one or two people before, which is 
very common. Um, but obviously it was waiting for the perfect <laughs> bitch to walk every side. Correct. Yeah. And I was like, oh, believe me, I am very comfortable with playing evil. I do it in my life all the time. <laughs> I actually had some sort of feeling I couldn't remember. I don't remember everyone's story of coming on because it's been so long. But I actually, this morning when I was like thinking about talking to you because I was so excited, I'm like, I actually kind of remember or somewhere in like a haze in my mind, like I do think she was just offered this, which is also like awesome as an actor. That says a lot that they were just like, hey, we're going to like trust you with this role. That's going to come and like mess up a lot of stuff on the Upper East Side. No, it's really great. I mean, I've thanked uh, Josh Schwartz. Schwartz, Schwartz. (laughs) <laughs> Stephanie Savage uh, a million times over. Yeah. And I believe now that, you, I mean, this is what, 15 years ago, 10? I can't count anymore. Um, what day is it? <laughs> the phone call sort of went like, hey, do you want to come on this show that people hadn't fully, fully heard of, but still because it also stopped airing, right? It's sort of the middle because it was the writer's strike. Right. Oh, I, I haven't seen it. I just finished this film and like, okay, well, what's the character about? well, we can tell you she's an evil bitch. I'm like, oh, and? And? (laughs) Okay, you had me at evil. Let me just play this clip real quick. Are you drugging Serena? G? Oh, boy. That was quick. Yeah, you you can try them again later. Yeah. Okay, I'd like to propose a toast. Okay. (laughs) To the new you. I mean, you come in, you basically don't give her an option other than to hang out with you this evening, and then you go and you drug Serena. I remember reading this in the script and being like, oh my God. And then it just the more crazy stuff comes on and comes on and comes on with you. I mean, you fake being gossip girl. (laughs) You tell Dan that he's the father of your child. I mean, you did some scandalous stuff. Thank you. I can't really take credit for it. That was, you know, the the team of Gigi and their amazingly brilliant writers and the directors came on. Like, do you remember Amy Heckerling directing? Oh my gosh. Yes. So cool. And I just sort of, yeah, I had always predominantly played the good girl and I was so over that. (laughs) Oh, great. I have to smile every day and give people flowers and chocolate. I'm like, nah, let me screw some shit up in here. (laughs) So that was just fun. And I was, I think I was 23 or 24 and I was really looking for a role that brought me over that, you know, child star kind of phase. Right. It was that, and it was sexy and it was strong. And it was a woman that maybe a little bit too much knew what she was doing and had every intention of doing it. She was rather unapologetic, which I think is very fun for an actor to play. For sure. And you, you did it so well. Um, when you were coming to do it, at this point, like you were saying, like people knew about the show but didn't know exactly what it was all going to do. Did you ever have a feeling about that, like it was going to hit the way it did? And if so, what was that for you? Or were you just like, I'm going to go do the, my job, kill it, and we'll see what happens? Well, you know, I had been on Buffy and I knew the CW machine, um, even though it was called something else back then because I'm old. Um, and so WWWWB. Exactly. I knew that they would put a juggernaut of a publicity machine behind it. That was always their formula and they were very good at it. And I knew that the books were popular with, you know, the, I don't know what you call them, millennials, teenage girls. I'm a granny, Um, (laughs) but it would just build momentum. And I actually think the writer's strike possibly helped it to not be canceled because more people were watching while nothing new was being created. 
So I think it was just a spiral of like wild events. Uh, I loved the writing. I thought it was obviously sassy and, and witty and respected the audience and didn't, you know, play down like a, you know, cheesy, goofy, one of the other network shows that I'm not going to say because maybe they want to give me a job someday. <laughs> um, and it was great. It was fun. And I I knew about the fashion and, you know, I've always been the fashion, like obsessed girl. And just walking into Eric Damon's like magical emporium for the first time, that was epic, right? Yeah. I was like, oh, oh, this is serious. And you immediately got the Sex in the City vibe because Eric is a, you know, disciple of um, Pat Field. So it just all felt right. And it got to wear really, really, really sparkly jewelry in a lot of it. You did. You looked awesome. This next guest also played a complicated character and had fun playing someone so different from who he is in real life. Here's the super sweet Robert John Burke on having fun with the dashing and devastating Bart Bass. I'll tell you a funny story that combines my fire service with Gossip Girl. We had a false alarm at a hotel. The hotel is emptying out. People are in their pajamas. These girls are in their pajamas. And I'm walking in with the hook, like the big pole, and the water can. I have all my gear on. And as I'm walking into the hotel, this girl is like, she's two inches from my face walking past me. And she looks at me, she goes, she goes, are you Chuck's dad? And I looked at her so quickly. And I, I looked at her and I uh, so There's quickly. There's like literally a fire happening and that's her question. She goes, are you Chuck's dad? And I look at her and I go, Chuck's dad is dead. And I keep walking. And she was like, oh my God. She starts screaming. And she like kind of tripped and and fell. And her, her girlfriend's oh. caught her and she's pointing in my direction. And she's like, it's him. And, and there, I can hear the conversation. The friends are going, what do you mean? What are you talking about? You know, Sharon, are you okay? Whatever. And, and so finally, I saw her on the outside by the fire truck. I came around the opposite end. She could never see me again, and I left. Do you know what I mean? But when she said to me, are you Chuck's dad? Like, just like that. And I said, Chuck's dad is dead. Like, immediately, she just freaked. Oh it was my the God. funniest Robert. moment. Um, and anyway, so I, I always remember that one. There, by the way, did everyone, everyone was okay in that fire? Oh, no, there's no fire. It was just a false alarm. We were just emptying out a, uh, you know, it was like Oh, a, a false alarm. Okay, that is hilarious. Automatic alarm. And that happens, like, over the years. Like, right. You'll show up and they're like, hey, you look like the guy from Special Big, whatever. And so when I first started, you're a schnook if you don't say, oh, hello. And you speak to the people. And then uh, other firefighters are like, dude, we're like 20 minutes late getting back because you're like, I'm like, dude, you're the one who told them that, you know. <laughs> and so now if somebody says, wait, a minute, wait, a minute, is, is that the guy? And and my guys, they'll say, oh, no, no, no. He, he looks just like that guy. Yeah, no, yeah, no, that's not him. He uh, looks just like him. He looks just like Bart Bass, but it's not him. <laughs> um, a guy one night leaning on the side of the road, he's like, are you Mickey from Rescue Me? And I was like, I said, it's 3.30 in the morning. I was driving the ambulance. I said, if I was Mickey from Rescue Me, why would I be here with you? And he goes, wow. He goes, you look just like him. And he goes, and you sound like him too. <laughs> I was like, oh God. Oh, so anyway, it happens. Goodness. It happens. Yeah, it happens. But I'm sure you know, that is just hilarious. Are you Chuck's dad? No, Chuck's, Chuck's dad is Chuck's dead. Dad is I, that dead. is... And she just, she just, her hands went up to her face and started shaking, like shaking. It was, it was so weird. And then she was trying to poor thing. She was trying to explain what she had seen to her friends. And they were just thinking something's wrong with this friend of ours. Something is wrong with this girl. Yeah. And it was really <laughs> bad. I wish I could just show, I wish I had videotaped that. That would have been, but anyway. Hilarious. That is. That is funny. It's it. This show just affected so many of the fans in such a way. Like it's actually quite sweet and, you know, but that's wild. There's an alarm going off and that happened. Oh my goodness. Um, I think, I think that like 
Serena and Blair, their relationship, just, I think there was just so much identification with it for two girls. For girls that age? Yeah, for girls that age, even irrespective of their affluence, because the things they went through were just uh, relevant and, and identifiable at any, you know, well. High if, school. Yeah, yeah. I, I really think that. And uh, you wanted to know that that these things, ha- you know, somehow you were finding out that these things happen with rich kids, poor kids, you know. Yeah. And how they navigate their world and their problems are just as real as anybody else, a relative and real. As anyone Yeah. 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 And it was, there was so many things. It was like the, their relationship and their competitiveness sometimes as best friends and then having each other's backs and betraying each other, but yet still being each other's number one fan. And then, you know, mixed families and divorce and death and it it, it was all there. It was all there. It was all all there. there. And how did they, how did they get through it? And it was usually like, well, I think that's uh, Serena's part, just honesty. You know what I mean? She was always very honest, open, and forthright. She was not very duplicitous a lot of the time. And if you pushed her and like bothered her, she was going to push back and um, stand up for herself. So there was a sense of self worth. And, you know, Blair was always a little more mercurial and, and duplicitous somehow, but always wound up understanding the lesson or, you know, in life. And I, I just thought, you want to talk about two actresses, two actors, actually, I should say, who stepped into these roles. I mean, glove fit day one. Yeah, from the pilot. Yeah, from the pilot. It's just yeah. so. It's so strange. Uh, it's beautiful to see, actually. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and and then even too, like what the, how different the three guys were. I mean, you take you know Dan to Chase to yeah to Chuck or yeah. Dan Nate to Chuck. It's like yeah. this kid from Brooklyn, and then you still have these two rich kids and you know a lot of family stuff going on. But there was a softness to Nate, like internally and externally and then they're you know them playing best friends i mean they just did a great job and then you kind of had you know jenny and i from brooklyn one wanting to fit into that world so so badly one not wanting to and not getting it yeah so there was that piece to the puzzle over here and then i really thought even and, and kelly and i were just talking about this last week the the dynamic of the parents so to speak you know we were all adults at that point but i mean right. we were still so young but that the parents in the show they really did a good, the humanity, like what they did in all of the relationships there were, were great, even to the relationships with the kid, their kids and their stepkids and each other and their parents, like Lily's relationship with Cece is a whole nother thing. You, you know, know, Cece, I think was only in about 10 episodes and she's so memorable. She's, she makes such a presence. It's wild. I looked that up the other day and I was like, well, she must've been in a bu-, and it was 10, or I think it was 10 or something, 12 it was something shocking because it felt like it was like yeah. a couple seasons and it wasn't even a full season. Yeah. You must have done like quite a few. Yeah. I mean, I, I was in, in and out. Like I was 10 of 13 for four and a half seasons. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. But I mean, some of the episodes, Robert, I'd come in and, you know, go hand Nate a letter and then like leave. <laughs> yeah. No, believe me. I used to call those the perfect crime, you know? <laughs> because I was getting paid whether I was there yeah, one scene or 42 scenes. You get paid the same. Absolutely. So it was a trip. And I'd be like in Jamaica on the beach sometimes. I'm like, oh, wow. I know. The perfect crime, we used yeah. to call it. <laughs> on Rescue Me, once I had one word. And and my buddy Lenny had one word. And it was like, Dennis Leary's character is up on top of a bridge. And we're like, Tommy, <laughs> no. And he says, Tommy. And I say, no. And 
we did it four times and and that was it and he looked at me and said perfect crime see you on the next episode i was like dude oh, wild what would definitely be a crime is if we got through the whole episode without hearing from our final guest the queen of the upper east side half of the best relationship on television eleanor waldorf let's end our walk down memory lane with the legendary margaret collin here's margaret and I just want to talk a little bit about the relationship with Cyrus, because when when that came on, the dynamic of you two was so lovely and great. And he's obviously an incredible actor as well. Did you know right away? Were they casting all around? I don't I don't really know the story with how he was cast. Do you guys know? I don't. I think it was an offer. I think uh, I'm sure it was an offer. Uh, and I think once I knew that there Cyrus was introduced, as I recall, and uh, you never got the scripts way ahead of time, did we, ladies? No. So, no, no. So <laughs> then you just you looked on the call sheet on who was playing it. And uh, and I had known Wally from Mutual Friends. And of course, you know, I have his uh, Aunt Dam and, and Lemon play right here. So signed by oh, him. Oh, he gave me Wally. He's <laughs> I a, love it. Love yeah, that. He's a playwright and a Woo. stage actor and a film actor as well. Um, so I, I knew him socially a little bit through mutual friends. And then we we knew it was a big sight gag because I'm 5'10 and he's not. And um, <laughs> there's a big age. There's a big age difference. Uh, so we knew that they were going for that. But both of us just sank our feet very plant, very firmly planted on the idea that this was mutual respect and a lot of love. They were both financially very comfortable, but it was mutual respect and a lot of love. And I think that's what made the relationship work great. Right. Also, we had a chance with that relationship to see Eleanor a little softer, sometimes giddy, right. you know, and yes. those were really thrilling moments to see, uh, to see that almost girl-like yeah. quality of just, just being in love. So that was one of the more pure yes. love stories I would say on the show. It really so, was. Yeah. And you really felt it. It was like when he would tell, talk to Blair about it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's like madly in love with her mother. <laughs> like It was so yeah, sweet. Really sweet. Right. So that and that was uh, they, they wrote that. And then Wally just, you know, committed to it. And that that I was really grateful for. What I wasn't so grateful for was when they we danced at some party. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't think it was my set. But they said, uh, well, okay, uh, Wally and Eleanor dance, which puts his head right in my boobs. And um, <laughs> and then he dips her. Well, I don't know, ladies, if you've been dipped, how often you've been dipped. But when the guy is up to your boobs, it's really hard to be dipped. I'm, so, I can know, like, only to imagine. To be bent over in his arms. Right. So the director comes up and we're, we're, we're approaching the scene. It's not the first thing up in the day. And the director comes up and she says, well... I didn't bother staging this because, you know, I knew your actors would would uh, know how to handle it. And I'm looking at her going, oh, similar to what they say with the sex scene. I, you guys go ahead. I didn't bother picking my shots. You just do what you do. Oh, I should just do what I do. Right. My husband will be so pleased. <laughs> so, so like, oh, all of a sudden you're abdicating your job as a director. You don't have a shot. You don't have any idea. So you actors can just do what you do. Wally says, I don't dance. Right. And he walks away. <laughs> So the director throws her hands up and I'm like, oh, well, I dance. <laughs> I, I know that. So I'm like, I don't know what we're going to do. So uh, they're they're humming around and walling around. And I'm going, this is this is hysterical. Everybody's I call my husband. I say, how is Wally supposed to dip me? 
my husband tells me how to shoot it and how to do it. So I, I say, Wally, come here, put your arms around me in a, in, a, in a dance position, one around my waist, one in my hand, and then just walk b- 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 back and forth to uh, like this. He goes, and he can't find the beat and he won't find a beat. And so I just say, step, 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 step. So he does that. I said, <laughs> and now back me up towards this couch. So I said, when I say knee, put your foot on the couch, bend, you know, put your bent knee on the couch. So I'd go step, 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 knee. And he put his knee on the couch and I bent myself over and over. So, and then, and then I stood up. And so the, you have to put the camera behind the couch and Wally and I, uh, Wally has, his leg has to be out of frame. And then it just looks like I'm, he's dipping me. And then I come up and we're great. So I teach this to Wally. I show it to the camera department. They're like, terrific. The, the set people move the couch over so that we can do this. We practice it twice. Wally feels like he's king of the world. I'm like, that's pretty good. <laughs> Director says, terrific. We go and get touched up. We come back and they have put people on the uh-uh. couch. So there's like four inches for Wally's foot. He's never going to find that mark. And I told them, okay, great. This is how you want it. Bye. You can find somebody to do this. Like, all right. They go, all right, all right. I said, get all those people off the couch. Get them all off the couch. Right. Well, okay. So basically you did direct it. I did. I directed it. (laughs) I choreographed it. You were like a savior. You came, you had the shot mapped out. You know, that's right. Marks. Right. Hubby, hubby to the rescue. Have Wally bend you over his knee. Thank you, honey. You like, I think you have comedy in your, in your blood because there was scenes too with even Eleanor that you made funny that necessarily it probably wasn't that funny on the page or had someone else kind of read it. It, You brought a comedy to even Eleanor with, with some of this not so great stuff about Eleanor. You really brought things that were, were great with her. Thank you, hon. Thank you. Yeah. You guys, you're so flattering. I don't, I don't deserve half this yes. praise, but I'm so, thank you for all the lovely things you said. I'm, it, none of it's true, but you're all, deli- you're both delightful. And I'm so happy to revisit a really happy time in my life and to see that beautiful, those beautiful faces. And I just enjoy working with you so much, Susanna. You got to know that. It was, <laughs> we just had a really great oh, time together. Thank you. You really did. It'll always be very dear to my heart. And I hope it happens again uh, for me. (laughs) I hope to get another gig and walk in and Margaret be be there. Um, So thank you so much uh, for talking to us and uh, for being the most fantastic Eleanor and bringing all of that. Yeah. You brought so much to that role and you brought so much to the show that still means a lot to a lot of people and they're watching it. So yes, I'm sure so many people are th- are thrilled to hear you today and to hear some of your behind the, behind scenes, the scenes and your stuff. voice. So it's you. such a beautiful, very specific <laughs> voice. Yes. Um, uh, but yes, thank you for joining us and thank, thank you for you. your stories and just, yeah, you brought a lot of smiles to everyone's faces on this show. I know that obviously everyone in the Waldorf family loved working with you and anyone I did too. I know we didn't get to very much. So I agree no. with Susanna. I hope that I, I book a show sometime soon and we're, we're together. <laughs> that would make me very, Aww. very happy. That would I be awesome. I was very lucky and very, very blessed. Wasn't that great? <laughs> I love going back to moments like these. Like Margaret said, I feel so blessed and lucky to have been able to talk to all these amazing guests we've had on the podcast this year. They've truly made this time special and something I'll never, ever forget. 
I watched this podcast grow as I watched my daughter grow. Two very special things to me. And hopefully one day she'll go back and listen to our walk down memory lane and have all the feels and vibes that we've had through this journey. And I also want to thank Zuzana again for becoming a part of this show with me. And thank you all for listening. This show wouldn't be what it is without you. And that's it for the Rewind. Until next time. Sure, you. XOXO is produced by Propagate Content and me, Jessica Zor. Our show is executive produced by Ling Lee. Our senior producer is Diego Tapia. Our producers are Hannah Harris, Emily Carr, and Kristen Vermilia. And our intern is Sammy Katz. Original music by Moxie and Loon. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. Well, how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.